Part three of part fifth of Trilby. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jersey City Frankie. Trilby by George de Maurier. Part fifth. Part three. Then there was a violin solo by young Joachim then is now the greatest violinist of his time and a solo on the pianoforte by madame schumann his only peeress and these came as a wholesome check to the levity of those for whom all music is but an agreeable pastime a mere emotional delight in which the intellect has no part and also as a well-deserved humiliation to all virtuosi who play so charmingly that they make their listeners forget the master who invented the music in the lesser master who interprets it for these two men and women, the highest of their kind, never let you forget it was Sebastian Bach they were playing, playing in absolute perfection, in absolute forgetfulness of themselves, so that if you weren't up to Bach, you didn't have a very good time. But if you were, or wished it to be understood, or thought you were, you seized your opportunity and you scored, and by the earnestness of your rapt and tranced immobility, and the stony, gorgon-like intensity of your gaze, you rebuked the frivolous, as you had rebuked them before by the listlessness and carelessness of your bored resignation to the Signorina Patti's trills and forite irures, or Monsieur Roclet's pretty little French mannerisms. And what added so much to the charm of this delightful concert was that the guests were not packed together sardine-wise, as they are at most concerts. They were comparatively few and well-chosen, and could get up and walk about and talk to their friends between the pieces, and wander off into other rooms and look at endless beautiful things, and stroll in the lovely grounds by moon or star or Chinese lantern light. And there the frivolous could sit and chat and laugh and flirt when Bach was being played inside, and the earnest wander up and down together in sole communion, through darkened walks and groves and alleys where the sound of French or Italian warblings could not reach them, and talk in earnest tones of the great Zola, or Guy de Maupassant, and Pierre Loti, and exult in beautiful English over the inferiority of English literature, English art, English music, and English everything else. For these high-minded ones, who can only bear the sight of classical pictures and the sound of classical music, do not necessarily read classical books in any language. No Shakespeare's or Dante's or Moliere's or Goethe's for them. They know a trick worth two of that. And the mere fact that these three immortal French writers of light books I have just named had never been heard of at this particular period doesn't very much matter. They had cognate predecessors whose names I happen to forget. Any stick will do to beat a dog with, and history is always repeating itself. Fadio, or Flaubert, let us say, or for those who don't know French and cultivate an innocent mind, Miss Austen, for to be dead and buried is almost as good as to be French and immortal, and Sebastian Bach, and Sandro Botticelli, that all the arts should be represented. These names are rather discrepant, but they make very good sticks for dog-beating, and with a thorough knowledge and appreciation of these, or the semblance thereof, you were well equipped in those days to hold your own among the elective intellectual London circles and snub the Philistine to rights. Then, very late, a tall, good-looking, swarthy foreigner came in, with a roll of music in his hands, and his entrance made quite a stir. You heard all around, Here's Glorioli, or Echo Glorioli, or Voici Glorioli, till Glorioli got on your nerves. And beautiful ladies, ambassadoresses, female celebrities of all kinds, fluttered up to him, 
and beautiful ladies, ambassadresses, female celebrities of all kinds, fluttered up to him and cajoled and fawned, as Svengali would have said, Princessin, Countessin, Serene English Altessin, and they soon forgot their highness and their serenity. For with very little pressing, Glorioli stood up on the platform, with his accompanist by his side at the piano, and in his hands a sheet of music at which he never looked. He looked at the beautiful ladies, and ogled and smiled, and from his scarcely parted, moist, thick, bearded lips, which he always licked before singing, there issued the most ravishing sounds that had ever been heard from the throat of man or woman or boy. He could sing both high and low, and soft and loud, and the frivolous were bewitched, as was only to be expected, but even the earnestness of all caught, surprised, rapt, astounded, shaken, tickled, teased, harrowed, tortured, tantalized, aggravated, seduced, demoralized, degraded, corrupted into mere naturalness, forgot to dissemble their delight. And Sebastian Bach, the especially adored of all really great musicians, and also, alas, of many priggish outsiders who don't know a single note and can't remember a single tune, was well forgotten for the night, and who were more enthusiastic than the two great players who had been playing Bach that evening? For these, at all events, were broad and Catholic and sincere, and knew what was beautiful, whatever its kind. It was but a simple little song that Glorioli sang, as light and pretty as it could well be, almost worthy of the words it was written to. And the words are de Mosset's, and I love them so much I cannot resist the temptation of setting them down here, for the mere sensuous delight of writing them, as though I had just composed them myself. Bonjour, Suzanne, mes fleurs de tes bois, et tu toujours la plaie jolie, re-reviens tel que tu ne vois, d'un grand voyage dans Italie, du paradis je fait je fait des vers, je fait le mort, mais tem importe je passe devant ta maison, Ouvre ta porte, bonjour, Suzanne. J'ai vu temps de l'île, te corps jolie venit de l'équetus des dix. Genève yo pas, Genève yo pas, qu'aime encore, qu'est te fuit depuis mon depart. Qui part trop tort, revent trop tard, mais que importe, j'ai passé devant ta maison, ouvre ta porte, bonjour, Suzanne. And when it began, and while it lasted, and after it was over, one felt really sorry for all the other singers. And nobody sang any more that night, for Glorioli was tired and wouldn't sing again, and none were bold enough to, or disinterested enough to sing after him. Some of my readers may remember that meteoric bird of song, who, though a mere amateur, would condescend to sing for a hundred guineas in the saloons of the great, as Monsieur Jordan sold cloth, who would sing still better for love and glory in the studios of his friends. For Glorioli, the biggest, handsomest, and most distinguished-looking Jew that ever was one of the Sephardim, one of the Seraphim, hailed from Spain, where he was junior partner in the great firm of Morales, Pareles, Gonzales, and Glorioli, wine merchants, Malaga. He traveled for his own firm. His wine was good, and he sold much of it in England, but his voice would bring him far more gold in the month he spent here. For his wines have been equaled, if it be not libelous to say so, but there was no voice like his anywhere in the world, and no more finished singer. Anyhow, his voice got into little Billy's head more than any wine, 
and the boy could talk of nothing else for days and weeks and was so exuberant in his expressions of delight and gratitude that the great singer took a real fancy to him especially when he was told that this fervent boyish admirer was one of the greatest of english painters and as a mark of his esteem privately confided to him after supper that every century two human nightingales were born only two a male and a female and that he glorioli was the representative male resignol of this soie de son de nivon cecile i can well believe that and the female your mate that should be le rosignol if there is such a word inquired little billy ah mon ami it was elboni till la petite Adeline patty came out a year or two ago and now it is la svengali la svengali oui mon fait you will hear her some day et vous moi endirez de nouvelles why you don't mean to say that she's got a better voice than madame alboni mon ami an apple is an excellent thing until you have tried a peach her voice to that of alboni is as a peach to an apple i give you my word of honor but bah the voice is a detail it's what she does with it it's incredible it gives one cold all down the back it drives you mad it makes you weep hot tears by the spoonful ah the tear mon fait tenez i can draw everything but that Kinez pes d'un me coude i can only madden with love but la svengali and then in the middle of it all prrrt, she makes you laugh ah la bourrière fierrière avec de larmes plein le yo voilà qui me pas mon ami when i heard her it made me swear that even i would never try to sing any more it seemed too absurd and i kept my word for a month at least and you know je sais que quoi de moi you are talking of les Fengali, i bet said signor sparcia we oui, parbleau you have heard her yes at vienna last winter rejoined the greatest singing-master in the world jean suifo hella i thought i could teach a woman how to sing till i heard that blackguard svengali's pupil he has married her they say that blackguard svengali exclaimed little billy why that must be a svengali i knew in paris a famous pianist a friend of mine that's the man also unfamous crapule sauvez respect his real name is adler his mother was a polish singer and he was a pupil at Leipzig conservatorio but he's an immense artist and a great singing master to teach a woman like that and such a woman belle comme on mise bay comme on po i tried to talk to her all she can say is jabul or dosh or nine or so not a word of english or french or italian though she sings them oh but divinely it is bel canto come back to the world after a hundred years but what voice is it asked little billy every voice a mortal woman can have three octaves four and of such a quality that people who can't tell one tune from another cry with pleasure at the mere sound of it directly they hear her just like anybody else everything that paganini could do with his violin she does with her voice only better and what a voice un vrai bois now i don't mind petting that you are speaking of la svencali said herr kreutzer the famous composer joining in quel merfiel hin i heard her at st petersburg at the winter palace 
the women all went mad and pulled off their burls and timons and kept them to her went down on their knees and cried and kissed her hands she did not say one word she did not even smile the men sniffled in the corners and looked at the pictures and dissembled often i johann kreutzer even the emperor you're joking said little billy my friend i never choke when i talk about the singing you will hear her some say yourself and you will agree with me that there are two classes of people who sing in the one class this Fincali. in the other all the other singers and does she sing good music i don't know all music is good when she sings it i forget the song i can only think of her singer any good singer can sing a beautiful song and give pleasure i suppose but i would sooner hear less fancali sing a scale than anybody else sing the most beautiful song in the world even of my own that is perhaps how sung the great italian singers of the last century it was a lost art and she has found it and she must have begun to sing before she began to speak or else she would not have had the time to learn all that she knows for she is not yet thirty she sings in paris in october gutsy dunk and comes here after christmas to sing to truly lane trulian gives her ten thousand pounds i wonder now why that must be the woman i heard at warsaw two years ago or three said young lord widow it was at count silk Dolch's. He'd heard her sing in the streets with a tall, black-bearded ruffian who accompanied her on a guitar and a little fiddling gypsy fellow. She was a handsome woman with hair down to her knees, but stupid as an owl. She sang at Silzok's, and all the fellows went mad, and gave her their watches and diamond studs and gold scarf-pins. By God, I never heard or saw anything like it. I don't know much about music myself. Couldn't tell God saved the queen from Pop Goes the Weasel if the people didn't get up and stand and take their hats off. But I was mad as the rest. Why, I gave her a little German silver vinaigrette I'd just bought for my wife, hanged if I didn't. And I was only just married, you know. It's the peculiar twang of her voice, I suppose. And hearing all this, little Billy made up his mind that life had still something in store for him, since he would some day hear Les Fengali. Anyhow, he wouldn't shoot himself till then. Thus the night wore itself away. The Princessin, Comtessin, and Serene English Altessin, and other ladies of less exalted rank, departed home in cabs and carriages, and hostess and daughters went to bed. Late sitters of the ruder sex supped again, and smoked and chatted and listened to comic songs and recitations by celebrated actors. Noble dukes hobnobbed with low comedians. World-famous painters and sculptors sat at the feet of Hebrew capitalists and ageless millionaires. Judges, cabinet ministers, eminent physicians, and warriors and philosophers saw Sunday morning steal over Camden Hill and through the many windows of Michelin Lodge and listened to the pipe of half-awakened birds and smelt the freshness of the dark summer dawn. And as Taffy and the Laird walked home to the old hummus by daylight, they felt that last night was ages ago, and that since then they had foregathered with much there was of the best in London 
and then they reflected that much there was of the best in london were still strangers to them except by reputation for there had not been time for many introductions and this had made them feel a little out of it and they found they hadn't had such a very good time after all and there were no cabs and they were tired and their boots were tight and the last they had seen of little billy before leaving was a glimpse of their old friend in a corner of lady cornley's boudoir gravely playing cup and ball with fred walker for sixpences both so wrapped in the game that they were unconscious of anything else and both playing so well with either hand that they might have been professional champions and that saturnine young sawbones jake tallboys now sir jake's and one of the most genial of her majesty's physicians who sometimes after supper and champagne was given to the thoughtful sympathetic and acute observations of his fellow-man remarked to the laird in a whisper that was almost convivial rather an enviable pair their united ages amount to forty-eight or so their united weights to about fifteen stone and they couldn't carry you or me between them, but if you were to roll all the other brains that have been under this roof tonight into one, you wouldn't reach the sum of their united genius. I wonder which of the two is most unhappy. The season over, the songbirds flown, summer on the wane. His picture, The Moon Dial, sent to Moses Lyons, the picture dealer in Conduit Street. Little Billy felt the time had come to go and see his mother and sister in Devonshire, and make the sun shine twice as brightly for them during a month or so, and the dew fall softer. So one fine August morning found him at the Great Western Station, the nicest station in all London, I think, except the stations that book you to France and far away. It always seemed so pleasant to be going west. Little Billy loved that station, and often went there for a mere stroll, to watch the people starting on their westward way, following the sun towards heaven knows what joys or sorrows, and envy them their sorrows or their joys, any sorrows or joys that were not merely physical, like a chocolate drop or a pretty tune, a bad smell, or a toothache. And as he took a seat in the second-class carriage, it would be third in these democratic days, South Corner, back to the engine, with Silas Mariner and Darwin's Origin of the Species, which he was reading for the third time, and Punch, and other literature of a lighter kind to beguile him on his journey, he felt rather bitterly how happy he could be if the little spots, or knot, or blot, or clot, which paralyzed the convolution of his brain, where he kept his affections, could but be conjured away. The dearest mother, the dearest sister in the world, in the dearest little seaside village, or town, that ever was, and other dear people, especially Alice, sweet Alice, with her hair so brown, his sister's friend, the simple, pure, and pious maiden of his boyish dreams, and himself, but for the wretched little killjoy cerebral occlusion, as sound, as healthy, as full of life and energy as he had ever been. And when he wasn't reading Silas Marner, or looking out the window at the flying landscape and watching it revolve around its middle distance, as it always seemed to do, he was sympathetically taking stock of his fellow passengers and mildly envying them, one after another, indiscriminately. A fat, old, wheezy Philistine with a bulbous nose and only one eye, who had a plain, sickly daughter, to whom he seemed devoted, body and soul, an old lady who still wept furtively at recollections of the parting with her grandchildren, which had taken place at the station. They had borne up wonderfully, as grandchildren do. 
a consumptive curate on the opposite corner seat by the window whose tender anxious wife sitting by his side seemed to have no thoughts in the whole world but for him and her patient eyes were his stars of consolation since he turned to look into them almost every minute and always seemed a little the happier for doing so there is no better stargazing than that so little billy gave her up his corner seat that the poor sufferer might have those stars where he could look into them comfortably without turning his head indeed as was his wont with everybody little billy made himself useful and pleasant to his fellow-travellers in many ways so many that long before they had reached their respective journey's ends they had almost grown to love him as an old friend and longed to know who this singularly attractive and brilliant youth this genial dainty benevolent little princekin could possibly be who was dressed so fashionably and yet went second class and took such kind thoughts of others and they wondered at the happiness that must be his at merely being alive and told him more of their troubles in six hours than they had told many an old friend in a year but he told them nothing about himself that self he was so sick of and let them to wonder at his own journey's end the farthest end of all he found his mother and sister waiting for him in a beautiful little pony carriage his last gift and with them sweet alice and in her eyes for one brief moment that unconscious look of love surprise which is not to be forgotten for years and years and years which can only be seen by the eyes that meet it and which for the time it lasts just a flash makes all women's eyes look exactly the same I'm told and it seemed to little billy that for the twentieth part of a second alice had looked at him with trilby's eyes or his mother's when that he was a little tiny boy it all but gave him the thrill he thirsted for another twentieth part of a second perhaps and his brain trouble would have melted away and little billy would have come into his own again the kingdom of love a beautiful human eye any beautiful eye a dog's a deer's a donkey's an owl's even to think of all that it can look and all that it can see all that it can even seem sometimes what a prince among gems what a star but a beautiful eye that lets the broad white light of infinite space so bewildering and garish and diffused into one pure virgin heart to be filtered there and lets it out again duly warmed softened concentrated sublimated focused to a point as in a precious stone that it may shed itself a love-laden effulgence into some stray fellow heart close by through pupil and iris entre quartz zeyuk the very elixir of life alas that such a crown jewel should ever lose its luster and go blind not so blind or dim however but it can still see well enough to look before and after and inward and upward and drown itself in tears and yet not die and that's the dreadful pity of it and this is a quite uncalled-for digression and i can't think why i should have gone out of my way at considerable pains to invent it in fact of this ear song should i be axed the reason for the show i don't exactly know i don't exactly know but all my family dwells upon nancy how pretty alice has grown mother quite lovely i think and so nice but she was always as nice as she could be so observed little billy to his mother that evening as they sat in the garden and watched the crescent moon sink to the atlantic ah my darling willie if you could only guess how happy you would make your poor old mammy by growing fond of alice and blanche too what a joy for her good heavens mother alice is not for the like of me 
She's for some splendid young Devon squire, six foot high and acred and whiskered within an inch of his life. Ah, my darling Willie, you are not of those who ask for love in vain. If you only knew how she believes in you, she almost beats your poor old mammy at that. And that night he dreamed of Alice, that he loved her as a sweet good woman should be loved, and knew, even in his dream, that it was but a dream. But, oh, it was good, and he managed not to wake, and it was a night to be marked with a white stone, and, still in his dream, she had kissed him, and healed him of his brain trouble forever. But when he woke next morning, alas, his brain trouble was with him still, and he felt that no dream kiss would ever cure it, nothing but a real kiss from Alice's own pure lips. And he rose thinking of Alice, and dressed and breakfasted thinking of her, and how fair she was, and how innocent, and how well and carefully trained up the way she should go. The beau ideal of a wife, could she possibly care for a shrimp like himself? For in his love of outward form he could not understand that any woman who had eyes to see should ever quite condone the signs of physical weakness in man, in favor of any mental gifts or graces whatsoever. End of part three, part fifth.